Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and today we are going to help you find your life's mission. What does that mean? Did you know you even had a mission? Are you in the middle of the mission and didn't know about it? Are you starting from scratch? We'll get those questions and much more answered by the author of Helping You, uh, The Way of the Heart is their website, and their book is The Caravan of Remembering. The author is Daniel Goodenough. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Welcome, Daniel. Hi. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So I'm thinking pseudonym. I could be wrong, but... Daniel, good enough, does that mean that you have to have faith and believe that you're good enough so that you can actually go and find your life's mission? Well, it is actually a family name, and it has had me, uh, because that's been my family name, I've certainly had an opportunity to contemplate what being good enough might mean. I think uh, life's mission is for everyone, whether you whether you start by believing you're good enough or not, either way, you still have a reason for being here. Absolutely, absolutely. I think what we, what a lot of people or the feedback that I get from previous podcasts, and, and even with guests, is that they were going down one path in life, and then something major happened, and then that major happenstance put them on the path that they felt they were always led to live. Is that a typical scenario, that linear and then a fork in the road, or does everyone have different life missions or ways of finding that? Well, I, it does. I suppose it can happen that way. Um, my personal approach and stance after uh, dedicating my life to the question of uh, how do you help people remember why they're here and actually step into and embody it is that uh, it's a skill development thing, actually. Um, Like anything else in life, if you want to become an elite athlete, there are practices that you would want to do daily. If you wanted to become an elite musician, there'd be scales to do every day. And uh, it's an unfortunate thing that our culture has questioned, you know, um, our culture in many ways was built by the industrial age in which people were educated to be cogs in the machine, you know, work on the assembly line and they actually didn't want you to think that you had a life mission or, you know, not to sound like conspiracy, but there wasn't a lot of incentive to have people explore deeply the question. However, in the age we're living in, where the average graduating high school senior might expect to have on the plus side of 15 different careers in their lifetime, it's probably a good idea to get clear about why you're here. So I would define uh, the life mission in its first aspect is uh, why are you here? What does that call you to do? And uh, who does that call you to be? What that calls you to do, I would call the outer life mission. And who that calls you to be, the who, would be the inner life mission. And the what you do changes who you are, which changes what you do, which changes who you are, so they're interconnected. And the who is the only thing you're going to take with you. So there's a who you are meant to become, by stepping into your reason for being here. And really the best way, maybe the only way to become that who you came to be is by doing the what you came to do. So that's the question to explore. 
and I suppose yeah, there's a few, there's a lucky, there's some lucky people who happen upon it. Usually, it doesn't happen by default. And as and as much as it's a skill development, if we train people to develop the skill, like anything else that's important in life, there are skills to practice. Um, you absolutely, everyone can know why they're here, and it's not a one-time aha moment. There's it's a unfold, unfolding, evolving, developing why that then becomes an unfolding, developing what, given the time we're in and the and the rapid change that our culture is going through and our the employment scene is going through and the economic scene is going through. All those parameters create careers that come into being and go out of being sometimes within a five-year span. So our ability to be clear about why we're here and how to apply it to a rapidly changing landscape comes down to a skill development. I'd be happy to go more into what, what are some of the skills to practice to become skillful at knowing why you're here and embodying it. Skill and development. I am so confused right now, Daniel. I thought I was supposed to read one book and then my life would be changed forever. There's no microwave solution to this problem? (laughs) Well, in a way, you could say it's a one book. Read The Caravan and Remembering. Uh, The Caravan and Remembering is is, uh, the weekend process that we've been doing for somewhere between 20 and 30 years in person with people to make it available for someone to use at home. And it has the, those scales are embedded in the story so that you have the experience of getting tuned to someone else working through the process. It's fiction, but it, you get the idea of somebody working the process and the scales are in the back of the book. So it's, it's a way of laying out, uh, here's the process. You want to you wanna get clear about your life mission, the why, the what, and the who, do the practices. I absolutely guarantee, I promise, if you do the practices, you will know your, your reason for being here. And uh, it is a skill development thing. So yet you could probably read one book. It's just then you'd have to do the practices. But you don't become an elite musician in a weekend, and you don't become an elite athlete in a year. So if it takes you uh, a few months, usually people six months to two years tops, that they're pretty much on path, and then it's an ongoing thing. Pablo Casals, in his 90s, got up and did three hours of scales every day to be one of the preeminent, maybe the preeminent cello player in the world. And after being the preeminent, preeminent cello player in the world for decades and decades and decades, probably for 60 years, he still got up and did three hours of scales every day. So um, the idea is if you want to be really good at anything, it's not a chore to do your skills. It actually builds the passion. It actually builds, uh, as, as we become more masterful in a process, the depth and breadth of that process becomes more interesting. We become uh, more integrate, the more facets of our life integrate into this thing we call our mission. And by the way, life mission isn't just a career. You have a family life mission and a relationship life mission and possibly a community life mission. And, oh, yes, you also have a career life mission and probably a spiritual life mission. And, you know, all facets of our life are included in this. It's not just a job. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so as you were talking, it made me think of the story about the cobbler has no shoes or the hairdresser doesn't have a comb. And in growing with the good enoughs, was it 
and while you guys were on one accord or was it the total opposite where you had to uncover how you had to develop this skill development? Well, I've, uh, I actually don't remember not knowing my life mission. And so it's been as whatever point that is that you're aware, you're aware. I was, I had this, sense of calling that I was here to help people do their life mission. I did see my parents and other people going off and doing jobs they hated. Couldn't understand why anyone would do that. Um, so my parents were normal in that regard, regard that they did a job because the story at the time is you get a job that pays decent money, you know, middle class life, buy a house, support your family, you know, and, you know, that's a good thing, except that they didn't enjoy the job they went to to pay the bills and buy the house and the car and support their family. And I just knew that that wasn't the full story and that we were meant to enjoy our work. And uh, so it's been a lifelong pursuit. My parents were of that generation where the deal was get yourself a nice, safe safe job, raise your family, and that's the deal in life. And uh, a lot of those people that trusted their life and their livelihood and their family to their companies have in their recent past found themselves laid off. You know, the promise of lifetime employment is not a thing anymore. And you have whole careers going away. So yeah, it's time for this skill. It's time for people to, for our culture to recognize perhaps and, and perhaps engage the, uh, the idea that it could be a good thing for our culture and our, and the world to say that, you know, and it's my vision that the world takes it seriously, that every human being is here for a reason. And anytime any one of us bails on a reason for being here, we all lose. And anytime anywhere, any, any person says yes to why they're here and the exploration and the journey of that, we all gain in some way. So Absolutely. that has been my lifelong quest to say, how do you do that? And I discovered it's a, it's a skill like anything else in life, and we can train it, and people can learn it, and people can be very clear both on why, their why, what, and who right now and how it's going to change, what's being called for, and how to, how to dance with our times. Mm-hmm. And the second level so, of that is the, is the how. The first level is the why, what, and who, which is the Caravan and Remembering book, and the next book will be all about the how do you do that, the third level of that is how do you, what's the manner in which you do that, in which I integrate with, we talk about integrating the way of doing your life mission, the manner in which you do that, integrating the value spheres of the good, the true, and beautiful, or integrating art, science, and spirit. So you're doing your life mission artfully, beautifully, sacredly, and skillfully, science being the skillfully part. Absolutely. I want to get your take um, for just a slight topical question because you're talking about the manner that we integrate and you're mentioning that generations past were doing something that they didn't like. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, Kobe Bryant had transcended and he was living a life that everyone thought, you know, he'd be 90, a hundred, whatever years old and he's not here. So I guess, I want to get your take because it's really scary that some people are living the lives that they don't really like and your time may be up before you even know it. Yeah, that's, there is that famous phrase. I think it was, came from Pantangeles um, that you don't want to die with your music still in you. Um, 
And there is this thing, like I said, that the, the what you're here to do is meant to transform you, as you said, um, so that there's a who yet you came to be. And you get there by doing the what you came to do because you get transformed by what you do. Either way, if you do the what you came to do or if you don't do the what you came to do, either way you're being transformed by that. And either you're being transformed in the direction of resignation or or something maybe less pleasant than even resignation, or you're being transformed into alchemical inspiration. And the alchemically inspired act creates something different in us. You know, the alchemist talked about turning our carbon-based nature into gold. So metaphorically, the, you know, the idea of making our life golden, is that expression when people say I'm golden, that there's this idea that when you become the who, you do the what and you become the who, that's what you're going to take with you. What Kobe Bryant took with him was the, the who he became. You know, the mistakes he made and uh, the victories he had. And, you know, he had a mixed blessing. You know, he had, he, had some, he had some trouble along the way, you know, and that's all part of the deal. We all have that. So our transcending our circumstance, our transcending our mistakes, our stepping fully into our reason for being here and, and making mistakes there too, all of that, the people we work with, the people we don't work with, all of that says, it has a piece in creating who we are, and it's the only thing we'll take with us. When we leave this plane of existence, the only thing we're going to take with us is the who we've become. Everything else gets left behind. And I think it was Roger uh, Bowles who said the three life missions are, number one, remember the one that sent you. Number two, make the world a better place for having been here. And number three, do the thing you most love to do with the people you most love to do it with and the place you most love to do it in the manner you'd most love to do it, in the way the world most needs it done. And if you do that, then uh, when you leave this place, it won't really matter. Like, your life mission isn't a product. It's not a, well, if you did this, you're done. You're never done. I think it was Richard Bach that said, if you're still here, you're not done. So it's an ongoing, it's a process, not a product. And, you know, I like to say that if you thought your life mission was to build a bridge across the Grand Canyon, and you died when, you were half, when the bridge was halfway across, did you fail in your life mission? No. As long as you're engaged in the process, as long as you're engaged in the question, why am I here? What does that call me to do? Who does that call me to become? And you're in the inquiry every day and you're engaged in that process, then you're doing your life mission. It's not a product. It's a process. So it's not about you have to build a business. If you do, that's great. It's not about having to build a retreat center or create a product or I don't know, get someone elected for office, whatever it might be. If that's your life mission, great. As long as you're in the process, then you're doing your life mission. It's not about the result. So without talking about politics or anything like that, we're talking about transcending our circumstance. And there's a lot of uncertainty. And when you ask about the what and the who, what do I do to uh, integrate this, then there has to be some type, there has to be a catalyst potentially to get you to get on your life path. So would you say all this uncertainty people should embrace because that's what's making our, our internal alchem, alchemical transformation? I would absolutely say we should, that it's a more empowered, more creative, um, more likely to su- succeed, um, let's say, context for life, to embrace uncertainty. 
Um, life is an open system. Life actually is chaos order in many ways um, can, can make a solution unlikely. So uh, what the catalyst, though, you know, I'd say that doing your scales are a catalyst. So maybe I should give a few examples. So, you know, in the exploration, in the scales, you could say, if you look at your childhood and you say, what were your favorite toys? What were your favorite movies? What were your favorite stories? What were your favorite sports? What were your favorite places? What were your favorite activities? Who were your heroes? You could say that it's not about your answer so much as why were they your favorites? You know, when you think about the movies that were your favorites, why did they touch you in that way? You know, because we don't all have the same favorite movies, so why were they your favorites? And and uh, you say sports, your activities, your heroes, why were they your heroes? And that's a great question to ask about your childhood. It's also a great question to ask about now as an adult. You know, because we have the adult version of toys. We call them cars and perhaps instruments or certain kinds of tech, you know, that we have our adult versions of those childhood toys. So your favorite toys, your favorite cars, you know, your favorite tech pieces, your favorite equipment, if if you're a musician, um, why are they your favorites? And the stories in the movies, why are they your favorites? And the heroes you have now, why are they your favorites? Some other questions might be if you could spend a day with anyone, alive or dead, real or fictional, who would it be and why? And the, and the real question is why. And when people go to, when you go to a big box bookstore that has all the categories, where do you go first every single time? And when I've asked this for thousands of people, and in every case it's pretty much true that every time that they go to the big box bookstore, there's one or two categories of books that they always go to first. So what is that? And it's not again. It's not about the what. It's the why. Why? Why do you go there? What is? What's there for you? Another couple of scales is what's the question at the center of your life? What, and also then what's the question your life is meant to be the answer to? You know, Gautama Buddha woke up not because he was trying to wake up. He didn't. His realization came because he was looking for the answer to a question. For he's looking for the answer to four questions, and he made them the center of his life. And in the process, he woke up. The question was, why do we grow old? Why do we get sick? And why do we die? And there was another one. But he was looking for the answers to those questions, and being all in on those questions and putting them at the center of his life became his life mission. So that works for some people. And, you know, by the way, if you're all in on your life mission, it's a, it's a great help in waking up because it will bring you up against everything between you and the one that sent you. It's custom designed because you're, you're unique, like a snowflake and a fingerprint. You're totally unique. And because you're unique, your life mission was completely designed to bring you up against everything that's between you and waking up. So it's, amongst other things, it's a path to waking up. If you're all in on it, because and you can say what fascinates you. And by the way, that's also a great question. What wakes you up? Because what wakes you up might is the very same thing that makes other people afraid and go to sleep. So why does that wake you up when it would scare someone else? When you're most confident, when you're most alive? You know, there are thousands of questions like that. I think I've collected about 5,000 or so scales. The point is if you're doing the scales and you're doing them consistently, you start to get a really clear picture of uh, what's transpiring behind what appears in the way you think about yourself and the way you think about the world and the way you interact with people and the why of that. 
and what that why is calling you to do and kind of the direction of who you, you're being called to become and who, who you will need to become to step into that. And, you know, as our times are changing, the answers to those questions evolve. So, it's not, like I said, it's not a one-time realization. So hopefully that's are you a, a good... Go ahead. No, that helps. But it, it, I have to ask, are the wisest people on the planet two- and three-year-olds? Because that's the only question they ask is why. Yeah, well, um, it doesn't make them the smartest beings on the planet. It makes them a blank slate. They're new and they're trying, they're asking why to figure it out. The problem with us is we stopped asking why. Mm-hmm. We, we, st- we start to get uh, conditioned, if you will. We start uh, following the story of our time. We're enculturated. And we, instead of staying with the inquiry, we take the answers of our culture. You know, by and large, 70% of the people currently employed are actively disengaged in their job. Another 20% are passively disengaged, and less than 10% are actively excited about their work. So when you get 70% of a population of, of a workforce active, actively disengaged mm. in their work, you can only say that that's a consequence of an education that discounted any idea of aligning your work with your reason for being here, your why, your meaning. And it's such a shame because it's a skill that anyone could learn. And it would be good if we started training people to do to learn that skill, like the other things we learn, to become a responsible, let's say, uh, responsible citizen on our way to becoming an advanced citizen. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How do you break the conditioning from 70% of the workforce being disengaged versus before they embarked on those careers, part of their decision was the conditioning of how much am I going to get paid by doing this? How do you break that? Well, you know, that's, that's, um, that's a little bit of an oxymoron in our time because how much am I going to get paid for doing this is, uh, has been traditionally gauged by what we think the industry will pay. And mm-hmm. in our time, an entire industry can go away in five years. So if you stake your life on an industry and you stake your education on an industry and you say, it's all, I'm all in on that, and then you find the industry either goes away or it replaces you with AI, then what do you do? So the real solution to this is train pe- give people the, the skill, train people in the skill of knowing their why, knowing their why, their what, and the who, and then the how is facilitated by knowing the why, what, because then you're in charge. Then you're, you have a way. If I'm going to reinvent myself, what's going to be the basis for reinventing myself, whether it's reinventing myself within a company that's going through major transformation or reinventing myself moving from, domain to domain of work. The, uh, the answer always comes back to becoming skillful in knowing your why, what, no. And that's a, that's a process, and it's learnable by anyone. 
you know, some of those questions I gave as examples are just some of many in the caravan and remembering. There's about a hundred of those questions of scales embedded in the story that shows you how to use them. There are more. Um, you can work the project. You know, we have a we set up the caravan conversations dot community for people to work the process with people virtually around the world on Zoom. You know, it's you know, so it's great to have a community of practice. I'm working with companies now to uh, for upper level, executive level, and also uh, frontline workers. You know, people on the on the front lines, uh, minimum wage jobs. And what I've always found um, is that when you you could be actively disengaged in a job, and the minute you engage in this conversation, the the, uh, the hopelessness of the resignation goes away, and you know that. Uh, you might decide that you can up-level yourself within the company by reinventing yourself, or maybe it doesn't matter because you're clear about, you start to get clear about what, what you're here for, the why and the what you're here for, and what that's calling you to do, and the who you're being called to become. And as who you are becomes anchored in and within the context and invested in the what you came to do and, your, and the big why of your life, the job you're currently doing becomes less of a thing. You're not discouraged by it anymore. You know it's temporary, or if it's not temporary, you know you'll up-level it. So the, the biggest antidote, and we found, and I found that in the companies I've worked with, the biggest antidote to the active disengagement is when the company actively engages in helping their employees get clear about their why. Not why they should work for them, just their why for their life, because it always – you know, like the companies that have invested in this are showing a, a significant percent of gain in the marketplace. I mean, I've heard outrageous numbers. I, I'm not quite sure how that gets backed up, but as many as a 300% increase in their business. In one case, I heard a 394% increase in their business by investing in their employees' life mission. So I'm not sure about those numbers. I am sure, though, that... When you, in, when you invest in your employees' life mission, they return the favor. It makes me think of an age-old question, or not the age-old question, but you hear more and more of this now, especially in the science realm, about a generalist versus a specialist. And you, would you put all your eggs in one basket being a specialist knowing five years that industry may go away? How, how do you approach the generalist versus specialist argument? Well, I'd like to say that our life mission is our agreement with the one that sent us. So we're here for a why, and it dances with the times we find ourselves in. When Joseph Campbell was talking about uh, follow your bliss, he wasn't saying, you know, have a good time and everything will work out for you. He's saying your bliss would come by engaging the question and taking the hero's journey. So that journey of the dance with our culture, the times we find ourselves in, Joseph Campbell talked about the nature of the hero's journey and the blueprint that that mythic um, blueprint was pointing to is saying that we all have to take, we all have to apply that to who we are in the times we live. So generalist, um, so it, there's, you might say divers and scanners. I think Barbara Shear talked about divers and scanners. Divers are people that go all the way into one thing, and they do the one thing for their entire life. As you mentioned, those kind of opportunities become scarcer and scarcer 
So now most of us and most of the jobs are for scanners, and scanners are people who might go all the way into one thing. You know, serial scanners might go all the way into one thing for three years and then go all the way into something else for three years and then something else for five years. And that is kind of perfect for our times because you might only have a job for three years and the company might go out of business or the whole career, that job description might go out of, might go out of existence. Or it might be that you just grew and wanted to change and you, you entered a different profession every three years. That's for scanners. There's the other, there's, then there's what we call simultaneous scanners. And, and many people in the arts are simultaneous scanners. If somebody's a high creative, they're a high creative. So they might do multiple things at the same time deeply. They might be a musician and an artist and a designer, and they might design clothes. They might design furniture. They might be, you know, like they might be a writer. They might be, they might be in the performance arts, and they might be all, many of those all at the same time. And the life mission view from the scanner is you don't have to pick one. You don't have to say, well, I love all these things. How do I decide? And it could be you might be an artist and you might be a scientist. I was part of a government scientific research project that I was hired for because I had a fine arts degree. Hmm. So, you know, there are many things in this world that are uh, that fit outside the box of the way we were told that career thing it has to go. So the idea is you follow the you you stay in the conversation you keep you stay in the inquiry you do your scales every day and you get clearer and clearer about it's not a one time answer you do this these answer these questions today and two two weeks from now you answer them again you'll probably answer them differently and if you ask a year from now and five years from now the answers will be different and that's what helps you actually anticipate the changes that are coming and you actually then prepare yourself for the changes that are coming so that you 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 get the the wave that's really moving through and you start to say in my reinvention I'm starting now so it might be that you can go deeply into something for your whole life there are fewer and fewer of those opportunities um, it might be for our time more advisable to be present to how you were wired what does that say about the way you can dance with maybe simultaneous diving simultaneously into a number of things skillfully and elegantly mm -hmm. so that you can dance with the rapid change of our time so that uh, breadth and depth might be both a possibility. And, you know, bless those hearts, bless the hearts of the people who can actually be a diver for their whole life. You know, there are a few of those occupations left, but not many. Let's hope that your, your dive is a deep dive if it's about marriage and relationship. You know, hopefully you're not a scanner there. Although, you know, I shouldn't say who's to judge. Maybe that's perfect for some people. But, you know, it's like when people make a commitment to each other, that let's hope that that's a commitment to dive deeply. Um, maybe your relationship with spirit could be a scanner kind of thing. Um, it's good to have a commitment to at least in some level go deeply with that. So divers and scanners, maybe we're all both. So with the diver and scanner model, are you seeing a trend of people deferring, settling down, having children like generations past because they have this employee life mission or life mission that they feel they want to achieve on some level before settling down? I think that's true for some people because 
the nature of our time might say that uh, the old story that said you had to do the family thing by such and such an age and, you know, you had to make that sacrifice isn't necessarily true for everyone. And for some people, that's the perfect thing. And for some people to wait um, to pursue a life mission first might be the way. You know, and you get clear about that, too, because it's the relationship and family is a kind of life mission. Career is a kind of life mission. All those things are part of the larger conversation of your why and your what and your who. And uh, I think some of the reasons, you know, according to the uh, New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, the main reason people are putting off settling down, marrying, and having kids first is is more about economics, that uh, there's a trend for young people now and even, you know, middle-aged people to say, let's say it's a second marriage or something, they won't marry their partner until both people are out of debt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of that's economic. We, have, we live in a time where uh, the disparity of the rich and poor is the greatest uh, dis- uh, discrepancy ever and uh, for all time. And uh, there's a lot of people who invested... Uh, Again, because of the nature of the economy, uh, huge amount of monies, huge amounts of money in student debts, and they're making a commitment to not marry and start the whole family thing until all their student debts are paid. Mm-hmm. And uh, that wasn't a factor to the same degree earlier in earlier generations. So, in terms of a life mission, I think people have more feel they have more permission now to delay that if. Uh, especially if they're feeling called to a particular life mission. So I think that's there. I think primarily, though, that's about finances. Sure. Uh, I'm also thinking in the middle of that question where there were 20-somethings and they decided to defer to live their life purpose, and just like Kobe and I guess everyone else on the planet, where'd the time go? And <laughs> so now they're yeah. approaching middle age, like, oh, I think I want to have kids now. How can I, with all I have going on? Uh, I'm sure you deal with those folks as well. Yeah, well, um, I think that uh, they're catching a little bit of a break because due to advances in science, um, Having a family a little bit later is more of a possibility for more people. So there's that. Um, I th- having the having a clear inquiry and a regular inquiry about the why, what, and who helps people be really clear. Um, and if it's a, if it's an ongoing dialogue, you won't find that the years slipped away and you don't know what happened. Usually, the years slip away and you don't know what happened because you're not in the inquiry. If you're in the conversation, if you're asking consistently these kinds of questions that help you know, that help you know not only your why, but how your why is, applies to the life we are engaged with now, from the social to the political to the economic to the global climate change situation to um, religious politics, like the whole enchilada how does my why apply to that? And what's my piece of that? And uh, then what does that call me to do? And then who am I becoming? And then how, what's the how that's downline from that? And how do I do it artfully, beautifully, sacredly, and skillfully? And it's not about some perfect result. It's just being in the process. And if you're in the process engaged in those questions, it's unlikely that 
a decade goes away and you don't know what happened. That happens mm-hmm. because people stopped asking the questions mm-hmm. and went on autopilot. That can happen in a 45-minute commute to work. You can get in the car and go on autopilot and arrive at work and have no idea how you got there. <laughs> but that can happen for a decade. So in both cases, it's can you be present? Mm-hmm. And these questions help you stay engaged and help you stay present to your life and to the people in it and your place in life. And also, it's less um, discouraging because you're clear about what's your thing to do. There are people um, who do very magnanimous things, very philanthropic things that result in making the situation worse than before they tried to help, mm-hmm. simply because it wasn't theirs to do. So if it's not your life mission, then donate the money to the people who it is, for whom it is their life mission because they'll do it better. And they won't make the situation worse. Like so much of the philanthropic work, like in Africa where they, they needed a well and they put a well in the only place in town that women can't go to. Mm-hmm. And women are the ones who gather the water. So how did that help that community? You know, it's just <laughs> one example of well-meaning help, but not really engaged deeply enough because it wasn't theirs to do. They just threw some money at it and said, I think that'll help. And so the question is, what's yours to do? And if, if you're all in on what you, is yours to do, then you'll make that difference in the world. So you don't, you don't have to rush off to Africa and you don't have to do a lot of the things that, you know, then, you know the, the mystical picture, if you do a life mission, it has to be this big thing. You know, there's the proverbial story of the hot dog vendor who's just so in his or her life mission that he or she transforms everyone who buys a hot dog. You know, that might be pushing it, but I totally get that that could be possible. Sometimes saying the right three or four words at the right time can make a huge difference in someone's life. So it's just being clear and staying in the conversation so you don't find that decades went by and you didn't know what happened. And if you're engaged in the conversation and it's time to have a family, you'll know that. I have a question about being clear. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that is a term that some groups use. Are you a part of that group? <laughs> I doubt it. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not a what is the Dianetics thing. I forget what that's called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm not clear. part of that, no. Yeah, okay. no. I mean, the hard work of asking the questions that are – the uh, engaged, you know, the harding, it, well, the, it's, it's rewarding and it's fulfilling and it, you still have to show up to the, to the pad of paper or your computer or whatever you're, you know, working the questions out. And if you stay engaged in the conversation, you'd say uh, a sense of rightness emerges. It's an emergent principle. So, it's not that any one of those, you know, when I say there are literally thousands of those questions, and if you ask them every time the answer could be different, there isn't any one question that's going to reveal for you your reason for being here. Probably. I should never say mm-hmm. never. But it's unlikely that one, it's going to be one question. It's more likely it's going to be something that emerges from asking many questions multiple times. And, and allowing them to marinate in your unconscious and your consciousness. Allow yourself to live the question. And then it becomes an emergent, like a solution to a problem. 
you know, like uh, what we call an epiphany. You know, eternity enters into time. That's what the word epiphany means. So, you know, we have this illusion that science has marched forward through rational thinking, and it only has moderately marched forward through rational thinking. Mostly it's, it's marched forward through epiphany, where great thinkers using rational processes beat their head against the wall for years sometimes, mm-hmm. not finding an answer, and then the answer comes when they're taking a shower or out on a bike ride or uh, on the lake on the weekend or something, when they finally gave their brain a rest, when they finally mm-hmm. surrendered their figuring, then the epiphany drops in. And that's how science has moved forward. And your life mission is a lot like that. You can't figure out your life mission. If you stay in the question, though, and live the question at a certain point, and it may be while you're taking a shower, you'll have an epiphany about that. And again, though, it's not a one-time epiphany. It's an epiphany of, oh, that's why. And, oh, that's what we're doing now. Or that's who I would need to be to do this. Or that's who I'm being called to become or move in the direction of. But that's only for, you know, that's an insight that's helpful right now. And there might be a new why, what, and who, you know, your why stays pretty consistent. But the, how you, the what you're called to do about that transforms as our world transforms. So what you're called to do about that might work perfectly this year and next year you'll need to do it differently. And that also emerges. And usually ahead of the curve because you stay engaged in the question. Uh, so I'm going to go back. Because I want to use these two archetypes with the philanthropic person and the hot dog owner. So with the philanthropic that put the water hole in the middle of town, obviously that was a a, a Nova, like the old example of Nova going to Latin America and they didn't sell. So how do you continue? Like this is what's yours to do. Well, it didn't work this time. Do you? And I've gotten my millions by, like you said, I kept asking the question, so is that philanthropic person wrong because of that initial error, or should they continue? No, I'd say that, that first of all, the, the idea that they made millions that have, may have nothing to do with their their reason for being here. In fact, I've worked with a billionaire. I've worked with people who are very successful, a billionaire in one case, who starts 200, 200 companies a year makes vast amounts of money. And when we did the life mission work, he was not doing what he came to do. Mm. And I find that a lot just because you're successful. You can be, you can be successful. You can be doing good things in the world. You could be happy with your family. You could be doing, you could be touching all the bases for the so-called good life and still not be doing anything that you came to do. It's as Rumi said, if it as if a king sent you to a foreign land, and you did 10,000 things, but not the one thing you were sent to do. It's as if you've done nothing. Now, that's a little harsh. I, I would say that's maybe too harsh. But I, I, there's a point there, right, that if you had an employee and you sent your employee, and, you know, to, uh, to do something, and they went out and they did 100 things and not the one thing you asked them to do, you wouldn't be happy about that. So it, it, you can, and I found in, in many, many cases that people are very successful. They've made good money. They have a nice house, a nice car. They're happy with their family. You know, they have a nest egg. They have all the markers for the good life. And when it comes down to it, none of it has anything to do with why they were here. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have all those things, you have the resources to change if you don't feel like you're in the golden handcuffs. 
But, uh, you know, that's between them and the one that sent them. I'm just saying that just because someone's successful doesn't mean that they're doing their life mission by any means. And usually, sure. you know, if they are, that's a lucky, that's a lucky break because it mm-hmm. usually doesn't happen by default. Just because you like your work, and a lot of very rich people don't even like their work. They just like the mm-hmm. money. Well, let's say you do. Just because you like it doesn't mean that it's your reason for being here. I, you know, I had a very successful musical career. I got my fine arts degree on a scholarship. I was very good at a number of things, none of which were my reason for being here. And I talked to a lot of people who are really good with money who became accountants and hate being an accountant. So just because you're talented doesn't mean it's what you're supposed to do. It might be used in service to your reason for being here, but that talent doesn't mean that's your life mission just because you're good at it. A lot of people are doing things they were good at, and it wasn't their life mission, and it doesn't make them happy. So that philanthropist who had lots of money and then put the well in the, in the one place that the people, the, the, that the, only the women can go to for water except women can't go there, might just be another indication of how they became rich. They became rich, and it has nothing to do with why they're here, and it just might be a symptom. You know, and, and, it just might, and it might be they're totally on their life mission, and they just thought it would be a good idea. They felt like, well, they need water. Let me help them out because I can do that. Great. If that, would have been, that money would have been better invested in people who do that, who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so slow down. Yeah. Ask the question. I'm feeling called to do this. Is it mine to do? If it's not mine to do and I have the, the resources to support it, I might take just a little bit more time and find out who would help that result in a consequence that had the consequence I was looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're a high rational achiever and you've made lots of money, you might go, well, I know how to do this and I'll just go do this. But it might not be yours to do. And so, do it again, doing your skills would help you know that's not yours to do. You'd be clear about what is yours to do. And the good things you want to have happen in the world, you'd help other people for whom it is their life mission to do that. Mm, And there's no shortage of good causes to contribute to. You know, I was easily 15 years ago when I checked the Internet, there were more than a million philanthropic organizations listed on the Internet. There's no shortage of good projects happening out there. So... If it's not yours to do and you feel like it's important, contribute the money to the people for whom it is theirs to do. And if it is yours to do and it's your life mission, then go do it. Okay. So and, let's, and doing the do, skills help you know that difference. I want to do. I want to play the hot dog guy now. So, I'm um, a okay. child. What do I, What do I like doing? What's your favorite place? Uh, I don't know. Hot dog university. My favorite movie was Super Hot Dog Heroes. And my my dad was in the hot dog family. Everybody in my community, they have some hot dog stands throughout the state. So we have the family check mark, community check mark. We all go to the same church. We worship hot dogs. My wife loves hot dogs, right? Yeah, <laughs> so I from a child, so I, mean, I, I know that, this, this, so, so, this so is just for argument's sake. Sure. <laughs> well, sure how that might work. So how that okay. might work is. You see, you see a movie where people are creating great, you know, significant changes in their community working behind the counter at a diner. Or maybe they're, uh, they're the janitor in a school 
you know, the unromantic jobs. And you see, you see these movies and you read these stories about people in those positions that are transforming lives, sometimes saving lives. You know, and I just heard a story today on, where people were talking about being radically transformed by the, by the janitor in their high school. You know, so it might be you grew up seeing movies like that, hearing stories like that. Maybe you encountered a coach that, you know, in, in a not-so-romantic uh, small high school, and yet you were transformed by the possibility that somebody doing a job that didn't seem like a let's shake up and transform the world job, trans- shaking up and transforming lives. And then you are, you, maybe your circumstance has you being a hot dog salesperson. But it doesn't mean it's about being a hot dog salesman. It means about where I find myself, I'm in my life mission. And you might, and you might be happy changing right. the lives you change and your hot dog business. But it right. wouldn't mean that, that you grew up worshiping hot dogs so you became a hot dog salesman necessarily. It means that you, oh, no. it's more like you find out it's about service. And you recognize right. service can show up anywhere. And maybe your op- how you, where you found yourself was an opportunity to sell hot dogs. And then you discovered, right. I love it. So it's right. like that. Well, yes. And that's where I was kind of going with the, of course, going with the extremes because you were talking about integrating. Uh, what's the manner that we integrate? And where I was going with that is, you know, I thought that was my life's mission, my family, my wife, my parents, the community, spiritual. And then one day I'm I'm going to a hot dog conference and the flight gets delayed and I meet a hamburger specialist. And I'm like, what is my life all about? I've been thinking about hot dogs and I'm so drawn to doing hamburgers. It was my life wasted. Well, you know, I think we get help, but I'm saying that that mostly happens to people who haven't been in the inquiry. Because you say, I thought my life was. If you say, I thought my life was, and you get that thrown off, it's because you weren't in the inquiry. You were just living your life, and because you kind of enjoyed it, you said, well, this must be what I was meant to do. And so you go to a hamburger conference, and suddenly it's hamburgers and not hot dogs. If If you're in the conversation, if you're engaged in the inquiry, that doesn't throw you because it doesn't matter whether it's hot dogs or hamburgers. The idea was, why are you selling hot dogs or hamburgers? It's not about the hot dogs. It's not about the hamburgers. It's not a product. It's a process. So either way, you could say, well, you know, now I'm inspired by selling hamburgers because I get that. Now the opportunity for within the context of selling hamburgers speaks to my why in a way that gives me an opportunity to make more impact for transformation in myself, in my family, in my community, in the world. Maybe I'm, I'm selling uh, regenerative, regenerative agricultural hamburgers that are a solution to the climate change. You know, that regenerative agriculture now is, is creating a situation where cattle can actually be the solution to, see, you know, to carbon dioxide and, and mm-hmm. methane in the air. And, you know, like it's the way of it's the industrial farming that's the problem, not the cows. So maybe you get that I'm going to sell socially responsible hamburgers, and maybe I wasn't feeling that way about hot dogs. But you know, there's nothing wrong with hot dogs, and there's nothing wrong with hamburgers. And I made the change because of uh, I'm clear about my context. 
And so I get that I can be inspired by hamburgers and I can make the shift to hamburgers from hot dogs or I can make the shift from working from this industry to another industry or for this employer to that employer without making anyone wrong. Just to say that I thought I was is usually a way of saying I wasn't clear about anything. I was just on autopilot. When people say I thought I was and then they're surprised by that, it's because they were on autopilot. Usually. Gotcha. I, the, uh, thanks for humoring me with those examples. So. Oh, no problem. No, <laughs> I appreciate it. And, and the reason why I brought it up, it, I, I was thinking when you had mentioned Rumi, you know, a lot of the spiritual talk, and you're talking about the inner life mission, on, once, on one perspective, you could say that it's very um, individualized, or you could be very uh, lonely because if – you know, this is what I was doing on autopilot, and I was okay, and now I've gotten exposed to something else that's making me ask those questions, but now every my whole family, community, spiritual, all that's shaken now. It's on shaky ground, and they're not seeing what I see, and if I don't go back to that way, then I can't be a part of that group, and I've been with them my whole life. Yeah, well, that is a consequence of our, of, uh, well, it's been the consequence of uh, life on this planet, that sometimes that awakening does mean that your previous uh, implied agreements, <laughs> you know, a lot of times we, we have implied agreements and explicit agreements. And when, uh, when we change, then that seems to violate the implied agreements for the most part. And some, some of them might have been explicit. Most of them are usually implied. And, uh, yeah, that that's that's, can be a tough one. And it's largely the, uh, the way the, the cultural constructs that we, you know, that uh, up until 400 years ago, we lived in a, in a collapsed um, concrete literal mythic uh, operating system worldwide so that uh, whatever the culture was, it was concretized around a certain story and that because it was literal and it was concretized, it meant that the rules were pretty rigid and mm-hmm. said, and religion and, and uh, politics were collapsed together and so that you know if you violated the rules, you could be burned as a heretic and hung as a a traitor to your country, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. so then the uh, industrial age enters in the rise of the merchant class. And now we have the, you know, so we went from traditional to modern and uh, that, that way of doing business that the merchant class high rational achiever mode has prevailed for a little under 400 years. And now we have the rise of the plural meme. And by the plural, we mean the, the power to convene, such as Facebook and Google and Instagram and, you know, and, 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 those kind of things, Twitter. You know, and so you have the rise of the plural mean. So now we have traditional, modern, and postmodern culture clash. And your life mission, if you were embedded in any of those traditions, you might find well, if you're embedded in any of those traditions, there is a good possibility you're going to be in contact with one of the other two or both because mm-hmm. it's traditional, modern, and postmodern. If you're postmodern, you might have a conflict with traditional and modern. If you're modern, you might have a conflict with traditional and postmodern, you know, like that. So, yeah, it's, it's an issue that we have to confront. And, you, and 
one of the things that uh, happens when you stay in the inquiry and do your practices and you really have done the work to have an emergent rightness is known. I know that I know that I know this is why I'm here. If you know that and you don't have to defend anything because you just know, you're more likely to be less invested in defending. Defending to the whatever the culture clash is, you're less interested in defending. You know, that might be more problematic with your immediate family. It might be that you will have to step away from a certain community, but then there'll be another community that you're stepping into. And if you know that you know that you know that this is where you're being called to go, then how can you stay? You know, what's that saying? If you want to reach the new world, you have to be willing to lose sight of the shore for a certain period of time. You know, the, the shore you left behind if you want to get to the new world. And sometimes it's like, if you know that you know that you know you're being called in a certain direction, it's like standing on the dock and there's a boat that's leaving in the direction of your calling and you've got one foot in the boat and one foot on the dock, what are you going to do? Hmm. So it might be that, yes, you have to make a decision. If you've done the work, that decision won't be hard. I mean, it'll be hard because sometimes there's some hard choices, but you'll do it from your knowing and there'll be less fear and doubt surrounding it. So I would never advocate anything in particular. It's, it's a person's individual exploration and conversation of their agreement with the one that sent them, whatever that means to them. And if, that's, and if it's true that, as Rumi said, if you can do the 10,000 things, you can have an amazing life, make lots of money, be generous, contribute to lots of causes, have, you know, love your family and your kids and your community and love all of them and then do the work and discover, no, really, that was the 10,000 things and not the one thing, it doesn't mean you have to drop all them. Maybe you just add the one thing, (laughs) you know, like it doesn't have to be cold turkey. Maybe there's a transition or maybe it's a both and. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes that might work and you don't have to, you you know, burn down the house, so to speak, with all your previous commitments and agreements. And maybe sometimes you do. But that would be something that you'd get clear about in your own conscience. And, yeah, sometimes those tough decisions come up. Yeah. um, That's where I was going with the individual versus the collective because there's strength in numbers sometimes. And if the numbers are like, let's go back to shore, even if it's not there, you know, um, what do you do? Well, you have to be really certain. uh, You have to – have that felt sense of knowing that I know, that I know, that I know. And that doesn't happen unless you've done the inquiry. Mm-hmm. To have the depth mm-hmm. of knowing that you know, that you know, that you know, in spite of what anyone else tells you, it's because you've done the, you've done the inquiry. It sounds to me, Daniel, that in addition to the caravan of remembering, while a good template, it sounds like you also have classes and seminars that you promote. Yeah, through the way of the heart, we do... Well, I, as I mentioned earlier, I have, we have four levels of life mission work that we do. The first one is what's shared in the Caravan Remembering book, which is about the why are you here, what does that call you to do, and who does that call you to, to become. Second level is if you're, now that you, you're clear by your life mission, how do you do that? That's, you know, up-leveling your action vocabulary and those kinds of things. So that's uh, the second level of life mission. The third level is the, integration of art, science, and spirit, or the good, the true, and the beautiful, so that 
the manner in which you do it is actually beautifully, sacredly, and skillfully done. And then the fourth level of that is some of the work that we do with the general population. But then we, you know, we usually we could might start in with that with companies and expand that to all levels of life mission. So the fourth level of that is how do you uh, how do you scale that up in the world in a way that co-creates with the future that wants to happen without without figuring. You know that uh, that sort of transrational knowing. How do you apply that? So we have those, and then the more general class, personal development classes, and shadow work, and uh, dream work, and healing work, and you know those all those other kind of things um, are various offerings of the way of the heart. And you could you could check those out on thewayoftheheart.com, and the caravan and remembering uh, book. It, you can go to the Caravan and Remembering website. It's available in all the ebook formats: so iTunes, Kindle, Nook, um, Kobo. It's available at, on Amazon. It's available at the uh, cafe printers. Um, and if you wanted to work the process with other people, you could go to the CaravanConversations.community site and uh, inquire about working with either starting a group in your community or working from people with other people could be anywhere in the world, um, holding meetings, you know, working the process, um, by zoom. And there's a, there's a newsletter, a life mission newsletter. Um, so those are some of the ways you could check it out. That's phenomenal. And it sounds like it's not, it's, it's ongoing. Why would you stop when you just, I just got started with the book and now I'm doing these classes. I mean, you, you keep the momentum going. It sounds like lifelong work. Yeah. The conversations clubs, um, because there's 12 chapters in the book tend to use a, do a chapter a month. And mm-hmm. now there are people who are, you know, in their, their second and third year of, you know, they got so much out of the first year, they just, Signed up for another year of doing, taking a chapter by chapter and engaged in the uh, the life mission scales that are embedded in the story. They talk about them and they toss them around and they get a chapter at a, t- at a time and um, it becomes embedded in their life set because they live the question for a month. So uh, yeah, it's ongoing. We love it, love it. And and the and, life uh, mission inquiry should be ongoing for the rest of your life. Like Pablo Casal mm-hmm. still doing the scales in his nineties, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Keep it going. Wow, and that time has flown. We are at the top of the hour. So uh I, I definitely loved loved uh speaking with you. Let's let's definitely stay in touch. Uh, you have a lot going on and I think the audience that listens to this will want to know more information. Well, I'd love to chat again and thank you for having me on. I enjoyed the conversation. Awesome. Well, you've just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and signing off to Sir Good Enough of the Good Enoughs. Daniel, it's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Hello? Oh. All right.